This is Hard Rock Saves the Space Dandy, a retro science fiction podcast focused on Asian multimedia from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. I'm your host, Dave, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 4. This episode will continue our look into cybernetics versus humanity and what amount of um, cybernetics may impinge upon uh, humanity or at what point is one no longer considered human and uh, fully cyborg I guess Um, we'll be looking at three different uh, depictions of this in in media uh, three films um, as a matter of fact the first will be the last uh, 80 police files OVA uh, released in 1990 the second one we'll be taking a look at is Lady Battle Cop, also released in 1990. And the final film is uh, Robotrix, a Hong Kong film released in 1991. The first film will um, view, or rather, the first film views the cybernetic body as a negative um, aspect of technology, of the forward progress of technology, uh, as well as a the more limited the human body is involved in in the process, um, the the more detrimental it is to the well-being um, and well-being of others uh, around the cyborg in question. As this is a shorter film, uh, we won't be going scene by scene, but rather uh, just the, the the theme in general and uh, how it. Um, appears throughout the the animated um, 30 minute episode I guess it's a 23 minute episode our main character or the the film starts out with uh, a montage of um, the life and times of one officer Billy Fanward he works for the 80 police and we're treated to a rather uplifting jazzy tune as it kind of shows a series of day in the life of Officer Fanward. Um, overall, it's a fairly uplifting segment. Um, it's showing his camaraderie uh, with, with his fellow officers as well as his um, successes and ultimately failures um, during missions uh, combating bloomers. However, the the tune itself remains jaunty even as, as it shows um, Billy in a uh, life-threatening incident and taken to a hospital and ultimately his body or 90% of it is um, discarded in favor of a cybernetic shell. Uh, he's um, turned into a boomer combatant um, cyborg or cyborg with the, the, the express purpose of um, combating boomers or rogue boomers in this, in this particular instance uh, all this is done through the 80, um, 80 police science department as far as I can tell it doesn't um, name a specific organization or if this is government funded or somehow other, other some other subsidy um, I think that that's the case with all three of the incidences um, of the films that we'll, we'll be taking a look at. 
So we have uh, the return of Officer Gina as well as Leon McNichol. Um, in this case, Leon is much, um, he's relegated to the background. He's maybe in two minutes of the, the total runtime of the episode. It's focusing far more on Billy and his um, past with Officer Gina. And Gina's, um, well, more specifically, it's Gina's uh, ongoing attempts to get uh, Billy to recognize her uh, as as his former partner. Um, when he's deployed on missions to um, deal with these rogue boomers in the aftermath of each um, particular operation, uh, Gina will run into him and uh, make small talk, but he pretty much just brushes her off each time. Um, focusing entirely on returning to the control center, I guess, or the repair bay that he now lives in. So whereas before he was uh, a fellow officer, now he's sort of sequestered in the um, science department and kept in a, like a back storage room. Uh, it's a little, little weird, at least the location of, of where he's being seated. Uh, of course, this is all in direct uh, reference to the, the film RoboCop. Um, each, each aspect of this and a lot of the locations all are highly reflective of uh, the settings um, in, in uh, RoboCop itself. The one thing that does change a little bit, um, we have an interaction between the lead scientist who's uh, dealing with his maintenance uh, and reporting, I guess, um, project status to the higher-ups in the, um, the AD police department and using the, the mission success or failure or, or Billy's um, combat potential as a, as a like a barometer of how successful this project can be, because this is a this is ultimately the um, the prototype sort of test uh, case in employing this um, s sort of cybernetization uh, on other officers or, or weaponizing it in some other form uh, later on down the road. Should this experiment prove successful, ultimately uh, it does not. What we're what we run into and what the the theme, I guess, of the uh, episode deals with specifically is um, a, a cybernetic body with an organic brain uh, suffers sensory deprivation uh, due to the how they've employed a lack of uh, nerve ending or I guess nerve nervous system um, equivalent. It does not exist in this cyber body. They're preferring to uh, leave everything non-tactile and using that to uh, enhance the combat capabilities because if he's not feeling any pain, he doesn't have to stop uh, or shy away uh, from combat, ostensibly. Uh, what we run into, though, is, of course, that, that sensory deprivation uh, is a huge detriment to um, Billy Fenward's mental state. He, aside from his brain and his eyes, 
the only other remainder of his um, flesh and blood body is his tongue. Uh, this particular episode is entitled Man Who Bites His Tongue Appropriately uh, because Billy, in an effort to assert his humanity, he continually is biting his tongue um, in times of duress uh, just to feel something. He, he, uh, otherwise, he's just floating in a void um, with, with no real... Um, attachment to the outside world aside from what he can see with his, with his eyes but even that information has been overlaid with a um, heads up display um, and or other sensory um, input unfortunately none of that is pleasure or pain related aside from when he's able to bite his tongue and, and gain input that way to, to further complicate issues the lead scientist has uh either by accident or design um, fallen in love with uh, Billy's cybernetic body she's well it's it's pretty blatant she's sexually attracted to the cyborg body but not to the flesh and blood component of um, Billy in this case uh, and she plays off her um, attachment and the the things that she wants from him uh, in in a sort of uh, exchange by potentially um, fueling his uh, his need for uh, tactile uh, sense touch that isn't really working for Billy um, and to complicate the issue she has been providing Billy with um, a stimulant drug in order to enhance his combat capabilities and I believe it is also in, in order to facilitate further or at least enhance um, what sensor what sensor input he is getting it um, it amplifies it uh, what it does in fact do though is um, disconnect him further from the world he begins to become addicted to the um, the, the, the adrenaline and the drug itself it's causing um, hallucinations and um, like manic episodes. He uh, goes on berserker rages and is tearing into um, boomers uh, with far more abandon than the clinical detachment that the um, AD police was hoping to get from uh, a cybernetic warrior uh, in this case. And ultimately, he ends up killing the scientist um, in his quest for more of a, the drug. And it falls to his former um, partner, Gina, to, uh, to, to terminate him uh, using like anti-tank cannon because the rest of the small arms fire was not effective against a, a cyber body. Um, this is, of course, after he's rampaged through most of the uh, AD police department um, killing a lot of his fellow former officers, uh, some of his superiors, and just kind of wrecking pretty much everything. It doesn't end on a <laughs> positive note, really, aside from Billy acknowledging um, that Gina exists, and in his one like moment of lucidity, uh, he's the one who stops and asks her to, um, to kill him, ultimately. So this is an example of 
the transformation from human to to cyborg, um, the blending of the two, and then how that how that fails, and maybe not as much of a warning, but in were this to be adapted um, feasibly, and this sort of technology employed, there's uh, there's risks inherent in losing oneself um, at the expense of gaining uh, power. As I mentioned, this is a this episode on the whole maybe a little bit shorter. Um, I don't think I actually mentioned that, but uh, it will be a little bit shorter. This um, the eighty police film was only twenty three minutes, so there's there's not as much fodder um, for discussion. So we'll be moving on to Lady Battle Cop, which was released in nineteen ninety and directed by Okamoto Akiza. The theme in this film uh, is. It's not really the reverse, but it is a cybernetic body as positive technology. Um, what we have here, in, in contrast, I guess, to the the man who bites his tongue and the episode of Billy Fanward, uh, our main experimental subject, um, is uh, Mikushiba Kaoru. She is a representative of Japan in the Neo Tokyo Tennis Open. She's a successful tennis um, tennis star and she's engaged to um, one Koizumi Naoya as a scientist um, involved at the National Science Laboratory uh, specializing in the creation of a human machine I guess interface unit it uh, they don't go into the, the, the particulars um, as much as I would have liked I think uh, however the the resulting lady battle cop in this um, unlike Billy fanward uh, Kaoru is not uh, required to sacrifice her physical body um, in this instance. She's uh, rather outfitted with um, sort of interface node in her side and a, a battle suit uh, that she can don or doff uh, at will. Um, however, this has come at the expense of some of her... I think the, the... I guess the interface program itself does not allow or perhaps it inhibits um, a certain emotional range, so she's more restrained, um, she's less of herself um, and is more um, more detached, more focused on the mission, so the things that, that, they, that the AD police wanted um, out of the, the Billy Fanward project uh, manifest themselves in, in a better or more clear manner um, in this in this film, of course, they're they're not related aside from the topic, but um, we're we're sort of treated to how that sort of blending of man and machine um, can be an effective thing. Uh, the 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 dampening of emotions, notwithstanding, it's um, there's no other uh, downsides 
I guess, to this. Um, at least as far as we're, we're shown in the, in the film. The, the film takes place just over a period of um, six months. So there's there's not a lot of life and times of Lady Battle Cop aside from the, the few um, days that she's dealing with uh, the, 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 the bad folks of the film. This um, The overall plot of Lady Battle Cop uh, revolves around an unspecified time in the future uh, where it is set in Neo-Tokyo, and Neo-Tokyo is comprised of four mm, blocks. I guess they've just divided the city into four zones, uh, A, B, C, and D. And a, a gang or it's criminals, a criminal organization known as the cartel uh, has taken control of three of the four blocks in Neo-Tokyo. They, um, they arrived in Japan from the U.S. where they controlled the U.S. mafia, <laughs> and uh, they are now considered the shadow government um, of Neo-Tokyo. They have large uh, stakes and large um, influence in not only the financial sectors but politics and now in as this movie goes on in law enforcement as well um, as the the neo tokyo police end up being fairly corrupt uh they're also the police are also um looked down upon um and disregarded as they are they are or have been um, ineffective in um, controlling the cartel or pushing them back or taking back um, any of the three controlled blocks of Neo-Tokyo, which is um, ultimately where Lady Battle Cop comes in. She's not a, I guess Lady Battle Cop is a misnomer. She's not a police officer. Um, she is, as we mentioned, the star tennis player um, <laughs> for Neo-Tokyo uh, and just happened to... Um, be affiliated with the, the head scientist that's working on this um, cybernetic fusion uh, project. The cartel is interested, I guess, in this technology, um, as anyone would be if they're seeking uh, more power and more um, control over uh, many uh, metropolitan areas. Uh, and they send their team of commandos, Team Phantom, uh, in to destroy the, um, uh, the the National Science Laboratory, and then I think it doesn't seem like they're taking to take the data. I think they just want to get rid of the idea of this um, cyborg research, so they don't have uh, any competition. Um, what they've what they've done is instead of focusing on um, machine and man interface. They have worked toward uh, mutations um, and other technologies in enhancing, um, I guess, latent uh, telepathic and um, psychokinetic uh, powers. So they're using science in a different way to um, enhance people and create uh, espers, which they have one... Um, successful uh, unit, I guess. This is Amadeus. He is the cartel's psychokinetic soldier. Um, he's an esper. He 
he, according to the one of, I guess, the officials, um, they they say that he's the ultimate weapon after nuclear missiles, and um, he was a NASA project, so that's a little strange, but um, I guess NASA is involved in psychokinetic soldier research and espers um, in, in the future. But, uh, so, ultimately, that that's who is uh, pitted against um, our, our heroine, Lady Battlecop. She, she battles Amadeus, um, ultimately to show that uh, the fusion of man and technology is stronger than the mutation of man and um, psychic powers. Um, yeah, that's, that's the general plot. I think there's a little bit, there's a couple other things sort of going on, <clears throat> going, excuse me, going on in the background. Um, the the portrayal of Lady Battlecop is done really well. It's uh, evocative of the metal hero um, subgenre of uh, special effects uh, series, the tokusatsu films uh, or TV series in, in Japan. The This was the last film of um, the director and his previous work had been in dealing more in with um, tokusatsu in that in that particular genre. Uh, I think the depiction of Amadeus was was done really well. It's it's a little odd because the 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 figure they've chosen to um, be this super soldier is like a he's a, a bodybuilder. He's, huge muscle-bound guy and that really doesn't use that physical strength um, to any end. He's able, he doesn't really need to. He's able to um, levitate himself to other people. He can bend large I-beams with his mind and send them flying through the air. Um, so he's, he's pretty effective as a, um, a combat unit. Um, Lady Battlecop herself is outfitted with micro-missiles, heat sensors, um, she has a, a gun that's inside of a hip holster, so that's, again, a, a Robocop um, analog. They, uh, the, the cartel has sent Amadeus um, to take out Lady Battlecop because they're commando unit, um, the, the four humans who were sort of running around and, and taking care of um, sort of little terrorist acts and trying to destroy the, the cyborg data initially. They, um, they're not as effective. Uh, their bullets bounce off of Kaoru's battle armor. Uh, they do, however, get a hold of a neutron radiation cannon, um, the neutron magnum which uh, Phantoms, they're, they're testing it out, and they figure it's going to be strong enough to deal with um, Battle Cop, but, uh, well, it is strong enough to deal with her. Um, unfortunately, she ends up turning the tables on them and uh, ends up killing all four of the um, Phantom, the Team Phantom, uh, which is, I mean, they, they, they are who originally um, 
she was caught uh, Kaoru was caught in a crossfire when she was visiting the, the laboratory which is how she ended up being turned into Lady Battle Copy in the first place. Uh, so it's sort of her revenge because these um, the Phantom killed her um, boyfriend and or he, he died as a result of the invasion and they, they killed all the other scientists and blew up the building. Um, they've also uh, initiated a gas attack um, on citizens at a like a financial exchange. Uh, it was a, in an effort to stir up anti-police sentiments and um, ultimately try to draw Lady Battlecop out of hiding so they could use that neutron cannon against her. Um, that's pretty much the film. There's uh, a little showdown at the end between, of course, um, Lady Battlecop and Amadeus. They, they fight a few times throughout the film, and uh, she ultimately uh, wins... Um, to, to the cost of a bunch of other police officers having been been killed, uh, and then ultimately Lady Battlecop um, goes to take out the head of the cartel in Neo Tokyo. That's Henry Oba, or he's yeah he's the Neo Tokyo section chief of um, the cartel. But on her way uh, up to his office building, or his office in the building that he's in. Uh, she eliminates most of the cartel agents and Opa himself receives a transmission from wherever the cartel's headquarters are. I don't know if it's in America or somewhere else, but uh, it's a, like a termination order and he's he's taken out by a, a sniper from another building. So by the time Lady Battle Cop shows up, everyone that's involved in that... Um, the Neo Tokyo section has already been already been killed, and the film uh, comes to a close. So, as far as her um, efficacy, uh, I mentioned that she has a smaller emotional range, but uh, due to her continued involvement with the de- detective. Uh, in somebody in charge, he's kind of like an ex-detective. Um, he's investigating uh, the cartel, and that's at the, the really at the, sort of on his own initiative. Um, he's sworn to take them down um, uh, prior to uh, the their eventual rise and um, control of all all four, pretty much all four of the Neo Tokyo blocks. But the detective uh, recognizes Lady Battlecop as uh, Kaoru, who she was, and in his dealings with her um, over a few occasions, uh, awakens some of the older memories that she had, I don't know if the suit suppresses them or that had been suppressed, and she, she regains her, her humanity toward the end of the, um, the film. Uh, while still maintaining the combat capabilities, it didn't, didn't degrade anything um, as far as how, how effective she is in the, the battle armor. So that's I think that wraps up uh, Lady Battle Cop. And brings us to Robotrix, uh, a 1991 release um, directed by Jamie Look. This one is... It's a Category 3 Hong Kong film, so... Uh, if you haven't watched this, my 
content warning for Robotrics is it's a Category 3 film, so it, it deals with a lot of sex and violence. And that's um, part and parcel of the Cat 3 category of, of films in Hong Kong. Um, that being the case, there's a lot less of a plot to work with, but it does showcase um, a theme that I that I wanted to address. Um, it showcases it quite well, actually. And the theme behind Robotrix is, uh, as far as humans and robots are concerned, um, there's no need for flesh at all. Um, robots are more powerful uh, than humans. Um, however, they suffer under the yoke of human control. And to take care of that, or to uh, address that um, lower position, that social position, uh, robots, were they to be equipped with human experience, uh, would be far more powerful, um, and the weakness that the intelligence that a human could employ against a robot um, would be negated. And thus, robots, when paired with a human mind, are, are the ultimate um, form, I guess life form, um, in, in, in the case of what the uh, bad guy in this, this film is uh, concerned with. So the, the cast list, like with Lady Battle Cop, is very limited. Uh, we are... Mm. We deal with uh, three, kind of four, debatable four main characters. We have Selena or Linda, I think, as the. So I watched this as a dub, and the subtitles on this didn't jive with the IMDb um, cast list. Um, so I don't. I'm imagining that the the original Cantonese names don't didn't translate over into they didn't bother translating it in, in the um in the subtitles this is, again this came out in 1991 so the uh the, the availability of this is limited uh that aside our our main character will just go with selena um she is a uh, hong kong police officer and she's been assigned to protect uh the prince of a sheik that is visiting hong kong uh, the, the sheik and his son, the prince, are, are visiting Hong Kong um, under the auspice, the goal, the goal of uh, purchasing a robot army, or perhaps it's an entourage. Um, and there's an expo uh, going on in, in Hong Kong where various countries have um, shown up to put their wares on display their their version of robots and how uh, they're just bidding for um, a contract it's a contract to get the sheik to buy their robots for his army or harem or whatever it is he doesn't does not explain what he wants this giant robot army for or why anyone's thinking that's a good idea but um, we have uh the, the Germans, and they show they showcase their uh, three 
robots uh, versus the Americans who showcase their one robot and then ultimately the Japanese shall also showcase a robot. The German robots are... Um, they're touted as being larger, stronger, um, and more robust uh, than other uh, competing robotics. The Americans, uh, when they show off their um, example, um, say that they have the all the a greater strength than the Germans, um, but in a smaller package. It's more nimble, more acrobatic, uh, and more effective um, in a smaller size versus these hulking German robots. And ultimately, the Japanese say that their particular robot um, is all of those things, but without the um, the still without the size that even the American robot has. Uh, I say robots, and they are. I guess they're androids. They're uh, they're fully cyborg cybernetic bodies. They're not cyborgs. There's no human component. Um, and they have uh, artificial skin. It's un, undetectable. It's, not, it's still detectable, I guess, but it's um, at, at glance. Um, you cannot differentiate them outwardly from another human. Um, they are all completely metallic on the inside, so they're, of course, heavier um, and would probably be making um, like servo like noises and things as they moved, but uh, that that's kind of glossed over, uh, except when it's uh, meant to showcase the the machines on the machine machinery on the inside. Um, the the German robots, as stated, there are quite a bit larger. It's the sort of. Well, they look kind of like if you made the guys from Kraftwerk super muscly. And I say guys, but the one there's one guy and there's two girls. Um, and then the, <laughs> the American robot, who's supposed to be so much smaller and more lithe, is uh, a, a muscly hair metal band looking guy, and he's super hairy. Uh, neither of the... I, they're not very physically attractive, I guess, um, either the American robots or the German robots. And then the Japanese robot shows up and is... It's a little tricky because I think that this is sort of a homage to the original um, uh, German film Metropolis. Um, because this is the least outwardly human-looking um of the 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 examples uh and has a sort of metal helmet with spikes um coming out of the temples uh i guess they could be control antennas it doesn't it doesn't get into that um part of it but the 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 german robot is fighting with the american robot and um ultimately the american robot goes out of control and it's kind of thrashing everybody in the expo, and so the the Japanese robot is sent in uh, to to showcase its own capabilities and um, handily defeats 
uh, both the German and the American robots um, to the the pleasure of the um, the sheik who doesn't specific I think he pretty much agrees that, that that's yeah, that company is who he wants to deal with of course there's a, a wrench thrown in the works here because uh, slightly earlier um, prior to the expo scene in the film the uh, the sheik's son the prince is um, kidnapped under the, the watch of, of our main character Selena and he's kidnapped by a uh, another muscly gentleman um, who handily dispatches all the guards with poison and then uh, somehow he's walking through the poison gas and it's not affected so we're not shown immediately why that is but um, as it turns out uh, there is a a gentleman by the name of Dr. Uh, Sakamoto so Dr. Ryuchi Sakamoto is another um, roboticist in, in Japan and he has continually entreated the sheik to um, purchase his uh, robots. The sheik has always declined uh, it doesn't really, I don't think it mentioned why he keeps declining um, Sakamoto but in anger I guess at that continual um, declination of his um, products maybe it was the price maybe he's just asking too much uh, he says that he's created the ultimate um, robot and to, to further prove that he'll he'll do the um, I guess it's not really forbidden per se but uh, he's, he's going to make the ultimate um, sacrifice to enhance his robot and he will send his um, his own personal experiences in his mind data uh, to combine it with the robot shell. And the most efficient way to do that is for the person that's transferring their mind to be dead. So he, he, he commits suicide and in the process of that um, sends all the, like his last moments um, to send his brain into, or nice brain, but his his memory and thoughts um, into the robot to control it. So he's resurrected as the robot, and that's who we saw momentarily earlier um, kidnap the prince, and he wasn't affected by the poison gas because he's a robot and doesn't need to breathe. And there's no human brain involved, so you can't really do anything um, to disrupt that. Or uh, his his human emotions and human experiences are protected by this like completely protected by the shell um, there's the we sort of come to understand later that um, memory itself or at least how this film is dealing with it is uh, it's a transient thing but it's also an, uh, a potentially immortal thing because you can always have a memory backup um, from a previous date and continually upload that data into a new robot body um, every time the robot body is destroyed. So it's, I guess it's not an ideal solution because you're losing the time between when that backup was made and I don't know if you can continually just, I don't think you can make new backups. It doesn't address that. But what we have is uh, during the kidnapping of the prince, um, Selena is killed in, in the line of duty. She and all the other officers are, are gunned down, or yeah, they're, they're gunned down. And um, the uh, the the doctor present for the Japanese team is uh, Doctor Sarah, 
and she's there showcasing their new their new robot with her assistant Anna um, at, at the expo. Well, they are present when uh, the the videotape of the um, Doctor Sakamoto's threat um, is is given. So Sakamoto, when he transferred his body and kidnapped the prince, all of that was all of that was in um, in it's not preparation. It's um he's he's leveraging the prince's safety against the um, selling of his uh, his robots. So basically, he's saying if you if you want your son back alive, you'll you'll use my robots for your army. Uh, and the the sheik is not really wanting to agree with that. He doesn't care for the his son being taken hostage. And um, to combat that, the the Japanese um, team uh, offer up the use of their robot to battle um, Sakamoto. And they agree, or they explain, rather, um, how efficient and how effective um, Sakamoto's new robot is because it's using Sakamoto's consciousness. They don't have um, license to have that kind of robot. Like, they, there's no one on their team, or I guess ethically, um, capable of donating their mind um, to... to fuel such a more powerful robot well they've um the 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 expo is being uh, guarded by the the hong kong police of course and the i guess it's the police commissioner the police chief he's there at the expo and he tells um dr sarah that they just released uh, during the kidnapping of the of the prince one of their better officers, um, Selena, was was killed in the line of duty, or she's in the hospital, I think, um, in in critical condition. Um, and they would be able to use her um, to transfer into the the android body that uh, the the Japanese team has brought to the expo. So they they do that. Um, Selena is now a. Um, robot police officer so this is a little bit more lady battle cop than um the actual lady battle cop and sort of through the course of this we have uh two two, i guess three technically three parallel lines of um examples of, of, of these robots so we have Selena, who was a cop and has been put into a robot body and is now effectively a robot cop. And then we have Anna, who is Dr. Sarah's assistant, but we find out is actually fully just in a, a robot. There's no human consciousness paired to it, but her um, she's sufficiently advanced enough that she's indistinguishable from just a regular woman. And she's just missing certain experiences she this being a category three film she wants to experience love um and ends up doing so uh as the film goes on for on a totally not useful um side plot but um the pair of selena and anna are ultimately um forced to confront robo sakamoto who is the archetypal um, evil scientist uh, with all the 
lesser morals that come with, I guess, the occupation. Uh, he's running around Hong Kong. He's murdering um, uh, prostitutes and causing mayhem uh, just because he has a robot body, I guess. Um, it doesn't get into his personality and why he would think that that's like, a good thing to do when he's trying to hide um, from the police and also is in the middle of negotiations um, after having kidnapped the, the, the prince. But um, ultimately it comes down to Selena and Anna uh, versus Sakamoto in a junkyard and they utilize one of the large um, car magnets to uh, pick Sakamoto up and end up cr crushing him. So it, it's a, if you didn't see it, that's, that's the end of it. He gets crushed. Um, but Selena is uh, killed again. Her robot body is killed during this final battle. And uh, Anna is t takes sort of the center stage and, and is the one, along with um, Selena's cop boyfriend, um, to, to defeat um, Sakamoto. And then we get a sort of uh, epilogue to where um, Dr. Sarah and Anna both leave back for Japan. Uh, and I believe the Sheik has agreed to let them provide the robots for his army. Um, but the Selena's boyfriend is sort of just left to his own devices and who, who is, comes running up but Selena in another robot body provided by Dr. Sarah, who uploaded a backup of Selena's original memory uh, prior to, um, I don't know how they she got that, but it's uploaded prior to uh, the operation to go protect the prince. So Selena's not, and she's not rendered a blank slate, but the last few weeks um, have been just kind of wiped clean and it's left to her boyfriend to explain to her that she's not even human. She's a robot with a human's memory, like, implanted in it. So there's that kind of issue that the, the, this, being the film it is, does not take um, uh, very seriously, but is, I think, a serious talking point. Uh, and I'd have to find other media to sort of take that further and we'll um we'll see if something can be, be dug up um, later in the season uh, or if uh you listener um know of something let me know and i will uh, i'll take a look at it um i think that, that pretty much wraps us up we're at about an hour so I'm, I'm comfortable with the length of this episode uh next time we will be digging further into the bubblegum crisis universe and taking a look at some or maybe just one of the original OVA series uh, because those are 45 minutes long a piece and uh, I'll have to see how much I can dig out of that um, to, to talk for a little while. Um, as always, uh, thanks for stopping by. We'll see you next time. And you can find me on Twitter at sentinut underscore plus. The links to the show and content information will be in the show notes. Uh, this is Hard Rock Saves the Space Dandy, signing off.